0: Good morning and welcome to Hosanna. My name is Tony. I get to serve here as the campus pastor. We just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. I hope you know that we are honored that you are here. In fact, if it happens to be one of your first times joining us, we want you to know that we have have a gift for you at our guest services desk. We'd love you to, to take advantage of that and we'd love to get to know you just a little bit better. Maybe answer some questions that you have about who we are as a church. Uh, At this point in time i'm gonna invite our ushers to come forward to receive our offering and as they do I know many of you know this but last week we took a very special offering an offering We called the big give before the big game and and we have some really exciting news about that But we really felt like this needed to come from our lead pastor pastor ryan alexander And so he's got a quick message for us all How's it going hosanna? Well, the weekend of the big game is finally here, and when the final seconds tick off the clock, one team is going to be celebrating wildly. We have a lot to celebrate here at Hosanna this weekend. Over the past month, you have given above and beyond to multiply the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus. By participating in the big give before the big game, you have joined the fight against two major injustices in our world today, hunger and human trafficking. Every dollar of this super offering is going to feed my starving children and trafficking justice. I'm so excited to share with you that as of Wednesday you have given $137,483. Way to go, Hosanna. I'm so proud of you. Let's celebrate all that God is doing in and through us. So we just want to say, yay, God. That's a really, really cool thing. It's a big number, and and I know that it's going to go to some really great organizations who are going to, uh, as we've partnered with them in multiplying the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus. So I want to say thank you again for for your generosity in that give. Uh, I just think it speaks volumes to to your generous hearts and your willingness to to jump in there. Well, today is a pretty important day. Obviously, uh, I'm sure a bunch of you have been excited about this Sunday because we were going to have church today, Right. Apparently, yes, amen, amen. <laughs> but apparently, from what I hear, there's another little little event that's happening this afternoon where a few hundred million people are going to tune in and watch uh, from uh, all across the world, and uh, particularly here in the U.S. And so I have to ask you just a few questions. I know this might be a sore subject for for people here in Minnesota, but but who are you cheering for for this weekend? How many people would say they're cheering for the Philadelphia Eagles? Okay, maybe we should put our hands down quickly before <laughs> anybody jumps on that too, too fast. Uh, how many people would say we're cheering for the Patriots? Okay, Future Patriots fans there. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, how many uh, of you would say you are cheering for uh, this guy right here? To tell you personally, I'm just really upset that there's a football game that's interrupting his concert. I don't know what's going on with that. That's just not okay with me, really. Uh, But honestly, how many of us will watch to the very bitter end of the Super Bowl because we know that there's an episode of this coming up? I have to tell you, I was a little hesitant to break into the series, but my wife has got me hooked, and I can't wait, and I'm also very afraid of crockpots, okay? So um, that's what's going on with that right there. But but what we know about this game, this Super Bowl, this event that's happening this afternoon is that there are two game plans that are going to come together. There is a game plan that the Patriots are going to put together to try and make sure they stop this vaunted defense of the Philadelphia Eagles. And likewise, there is going to be a game plan that the Eagles are going to put together to try and stop Tom Brady and and all that the Patriots can throw at you. But at the end of the day, one of these game plans is going to succeed and one of those game plans is going to fail. And we know this. This is kind of part of the game of football. But what we discovered last week, as Pastor Ryan shared and kicked off the series for us, is that Jesus ultimately has a game plan to change the world. There's a game plan that he has in mind to change the world, and he longs for us to partner with him. And if you were here last week, you, you heard this uh, scripture read, but, but Pastor Ryan started by, by declaring that this was part of Jesus' game plan to ultimately change the world. And it's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And it says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. In other words... Ryan declared that Jesus has come to set free the beggar, the bounded, the blind, and the broken, that that is part of his game plan and to ultimately change the world from, from one side to the other, from the beginning to the end, that that's how he's going to come and he's going to change the world. And we've discovered that, that we here at Hosanna want to partner with what God is doing in this world. That we in some way want to make sure that we are multiplying that hope, that heartbeat that Jesus initially sent out to do. But for some of us, we have to begin to discover how, how do we do that. And I think for us to begin to do this well, we have to begin to multiply the hope that we have in our own hearts, in our own souls. We have to begin to multiply this hope. And as I began to prepare for this message, there was kind of one idea, this kind of illustration that just kept coming to mind over and over again. And it's this, that uh, hope for the human soul, for the human spirit, isn't unlike how a car runs on gasoline. That, that it's the gasoline that allows the car to move forward, to, to go in, into the future in some capacity. In the same way, hope for the human soul is the thing that allows us to run with Jesus, it allows us to look towards the future, to anticipate, and ultimately to run with him in this mission to see this fulfilled. So I have to ask you a question <clears throat> as you're thinking about this. What kind of person are you when it comes to filling up your car? What kind of person are you when it comes to filling up your car? Are you the type of person who, no matter what, if they're in their parking lot, they're going to make sure that their seatbelt is buckled, and you know that the minute it comes to a quarter of a tank, it's time to fill up? Anybody? Anybody willing to say that? Yes? Okay. And how many of us, on the other hand, are the type of people who are waiting for this light to come on before we fill up? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's a bunch of us in there. The interesting thing is, typically, uh, if you're the type of person who wants to fill up at a quarter and the type of person who's waiting for that fuel light to come on, you've probably married the other person. Can I get an amen to that? Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I was one of those people who waited until the fuel light came on, but I have to tell you, I have been reformed. <laughs> there was one time when I was in high school that I had pulled up at a stoplight, and I had, I had figured it out to the exact last hundred yards how far I could go. But that red light just lasted a little bit longer than it should have. And then all of a sudden my car died about a quarter mile from the gas station that I was trying to get to. And the worst part was it was freezing cold outside and it was pre-cell phones. And so I had to run to the gas station... Put in my 25 cents to call some friends to get them to come and push my car because I wasn't about to tell my mom and dad that I ran out of gas. So they had to help me push this car up this hill about a quarter mile to go fill up and to go from that capacity. See, but when it comes to uh, hope, I'm hoping that our, our lives are a little bit different. See, I know in today's world, uh, in fact, I was just reading an article that, that hope is something that can be hard to find. In fact, what uh, many researchers will tell us is that this upcoming generation is a generation that has the least amount of hope. They are the least optimistic about their future than ever before. It's because of the stresses, it's because of the anxiety, it's because of so much of the craziness that we all face on a regular basis that our hope has begun to diminish. And what I'm afraid for us, for a group of people that that would be walking through this with us, is that our hope has begun to come down, and our hope meter, our fuel gauge, is beginning to get to a point where we need to be refilled. Because if we're going to partner with Jesus, this, this mission to go out and to see the oppressed set free, to see the blind see, we have to make sure that we have first been filled with this incredible hope that Jesus has for us. That we have to begin to see ourselves and see the people around us the way that Jesus sees us in order, us, in order for us to fulfill this mission. But I know, probably like me, you feel like if you were going to take a true gauge on your heart, if you, if you, a real gauge on, on your soul, you might say that your hope has begun to diminish. That it's not full, as full as you would like it to be. So what we're going to discover today is we're going to read a portion out of, out of a book called 1 Peter, and he's going to begin to explain to us maybe how our fuel, how our uh, hope meter can be begin to be refilled. Before we turn there, I just want to share just a couple of things about Peter's life that you need to know. The first thing you need to know is, is Peter was a guy who would have known a ton about hope. He would have, but he was also would have known a lot about hopelessness. See, Peter was one of the guys who led the early church, and he was powerful, and he was a significant leader. And I believe he was that because he was eventually filled with hope, but you have to know there were moments where he would have felt hopeless. If you know some of the last moments of of Jesus' life right before he was crucified, Peter did something. He, He denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And Peter would have been one of Jesus' closest friends. He would have been one of his closest disciples. He would have been one of those guys who would have been on the inside track. He would have been one of his best friends. And as he even began to deny that he even knew Jesus, you have to imagine that, that he would have seen the failure in his own life. He would have began to see his character as one that, that wouldn't have been one that, that should have been a good thing at all. In fact, he would have looked at that moment and probably said, I'm a failure. I'm, I'm a disgrace. I should be ashamed of myself. I believe in that moment he would have probably seen himself as kind of a hopeless case. And then in just a little bit longer, we see that Jesus, this person he had hoped to be the Messiah, the one who changed everything in this world, dies. Just imagine with me what it would have been like to be Peter, to be in that place and to feel hopeless, hopeless there was no future that was worth running towards beyond that moment. But then, in a few short days, we see that Peter experiences this amazing miracle, that Jesus rises from the dead. And Jesus turns everything on its head, and it goes from hopeless to being hope-filled. And it's that same hope that Peter is filled with as he begins to write this letter called 1 Peter to a group of Christians who would have been just like us, who would have experienced the craziness of that day. They would have experienced the stresses, the anxieties that all of us have faced. And yet he declares to them and gives them a playbook in which they can begin to be filled with hope again. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter, and we're going to start in verse 2. In verse 2, it, it says this. <clears throat> God, the Father, knew you and chose you long ago. So I want to pause right there. God knew you and chose you long ago. Those are powerful words, powerful words. We're going to come back to those. And his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. We'll pause right there. <clears throat> One of the first things we, we have to begin to see, we have to see in ourselves and we have to see in God, if we want to begin to see our hope meter begin to be filled again, filled to the point where we can go out and multiply this, this hope that we have beginning, been given, we have to begin to see that God chose you. But even before he chose you, he says he knew you as well. See, so many of us have experienced all sorts of different types of rejection. could be rejection maybe in your family or it could have been a rejection in your career in a job situation. or Maybe it was a rejection that you experienced in kind of a romantic relationship. And those rejections can hurt and they can begin to drain the hope meter. When I was preparing this message, I came across uh, a guy who spoke about this Instagram account, and I had to see it for myself, and, and it's called text from your ex, okay? Text from your ex, and these are all rejection texts that you could possibly get, and I just want you to see just a couple of them. The first one is this. Did you see the shooting star? Yeah, I made a wish for you to leave me alone. It's a dagger right there. Second one is this, I've always wanted to text you and tell you I miss you, but I never do. Keep doing that. (laughs) Rough. The last one is this, I heard a song and thought of you, I want you back, Jackson 5. I heard a song too, we are never, ever getting back together, T-Swift. There's a text from your ex. But the truth of those texts, as funny as they can be, is that rejection hurts. It hurts to your core. It hurts right, right down to your very soul. And if you thought you were plugging along with some hope for a future, you thought you were plugging along for hope for what was next, you thought you were plugging along and you had some hope for what was around the corner, when you experience a rejection, whether it's been in your career or in your family or in a romantic relationship, that rejection can shut you down and begin to drain your hope meter for what's beyond it. In fact, rejection is a very interesting emotion. In fact, research can tell us some pretty powerful things about, uh, about uh, rejection itself. I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but, but rejection sometimes can feel like you actually got punched in the gut, that you got slugged in, the, in, the, in your stomach. And, and it's fascinating because researchers will tell you that rejection, the emotion of rejection, goes on the same pathways in your brain as physical pain. And so when you experience it, it's not unlike being punched in the gut. In fact, they would say, researchers can say that it is a blur between physical pain and emotional pain as it comes together. The second thing that that you need to know about rejection and how powerful it can be is that when you experience the emotion of rejection and you remember back to that emotion, you actually re-experience the pain that you experienced the first time. Not to the full extent, but you re-experience this pain which is different than physical pain. If you have experienced physical pain, maybe you're walking through your kitchen and you stub your toe and it hurts, and you know you don't go there with your language, obviously. You know, just praise Jesus, thank you, and you keep going, right? <clears throat> but when you experience that, or, sorry, when you remember that pain, that moment that you stubbed your toe, you don't re-experience the pain. You don't. But when it comes to rejection. And you remember back on that moment when you were rejected. You re experience that pain again. The last thing that happens with rejection as people experience it is this. Is that people who experience rejection over and over again eventually begin to cut themselves off. To isolate themselves from other people. They begin to see other people as untrustworthy and unwilling to, to take a chance to begin to even offer a hand of friendship or an, even an acquaintance. They begin to just begin to cut themselves off and bring themselves away from everybody else, keeping everybody else at a distance. But what's the opposite of rejection? Opposite of rejection is being accepted. And as Peter begins to speak to this group of people, who may have lost hope, whose hope meter may have been drained at that point in time, he begins by saying, I need you to know something more important than anything else, that you have been accepted that you have been accepted, that he knew you and he chose you. He knew you. He knew your smile. He knew your personality. He knew what you would look like from the inside and the out. He knew the things that no one else knows about you. He knows your weird quirks and your odd sense of humor. He knows what makes you laugh and what makes you smile. He knows what makes you cry and what makes you sad. He knew you. And in Christ, he accepted you. He chose you to come be a part of his family, to be a child of his. And when we begin to see that the God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, has accepted us, we can move forward no matter who has rejected us because we have been accepted by the God of the universe. It's powerful when it comes to hope. And so the first step in us being able to see our hope meters be refilled is we have to begin to accept his acceptance of us. To accept his acceptance of us. I want to continue on in this passage. Because Peter uh, Peter is not done explaining to us what it means to see our hope refilled. To be able to be multiplied in this hope. He continues on and he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, and many translations right, right here say born again into a living hope, a living hope, because God, because God raised Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven from you, for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by the power until, by His power, until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. At this point in time, I believe that, that Peter would have been looking at, at this group of people that he's writing this letter to and beginning to imagine for them. See, a lot of us can put our hope in things that that can decay, that can change. that, That somehow when we put our hope into things of this world, it's easy for those to get changed and moved. And he's beginning to look at them and say, no, I want you to put your hope in something that is beyond the reach of change, that is beyond the reach of decay, because there are things to hope for, there are places to put your hope in that won't change, that won't be decayed. I know many of us this year put her hope in the Minnesota Vikings, which ended very sadly. But I have to tell you something about my experience watching the Vikings this year. See, I will tell you that I will never watch another Vikings game the same way. Why? Because I know with even 10 seconds left on the clock, there is still hope. Can I get an amen? Amen. There's still hope. In my little lifetime, I don't know that I've experienced anything quite like that. But there is a hope that is worth hoping in. And what Peter is beginning to do for this young group of Christians, this developing church, he's looking at them and saying, there are things that are worth putting your hope in that can come through for you even when you think nothing else can come through. Because I'm sure he's looking at his own circumstances and saying, you you don't know fully the hopelessness I experienced. I saw the Messiah, Jesus Christ, die on a cross. I was hopeless. And then I experienced this miracle. He rose from the dead, and hope rose from the dead. It changed everything. It put it on its head. It changed everything. I believe he would look at us and say, if we want to multiply the hope of Jesus, we have to have our hope meters filled, but we need to begin to place our hope in things that are worth hoping in. And as I was preparing this message, I just wrote down a few things that I believe that that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, can put our hope in. And when we put our hope in there, they will begin to multiply. The first one is this, is God is good, and he is for me. That God will provide for all of my physical needs. That God is guiding me, strengthening me, and working inside me to produce more life and love in my life. That God will bring good results even out of the bad things that happen to me. That nothing, and I do say this again, nothing can cut me off from God's love. Not my sin, not my shame, not my guilt. Nothing can cut me off. And then, lastly, that God is working in this world to make all things new. He's working towards a day where he will wipe every tear from our eyes, that he will make every wrong right again. These are things that we can hope in. Even when our hope meter is going down, these are things we can anchor ourselves in that will ultimately fill our meter, our hope meter, and allow us to begin to multiply this. One of the things that that I think has been interesting in my, my own life, my journey as I have walked with Christ, is that sometimes in painful situations in my life, In moments where I've experienced just incredible hardships and difficult circumstances, it's it's so hard sometimes for me to wrap myself around this idea that, that God is still close to me. Because the presence of pain in my life makes me begin to believe that God is somehow absent from my life. And what Peter begins to unpack for us is that that isn't true. That that is a myth that's so easy for all of us to begin to believe. But just like other myths that sometimes we, we can find ourselves believing, this isn't true of who God is. One of the myths that I think uh, I've heard once or twice in my life is, is this. Have, have you heard this? That, that lightning doesn't strike the same place twice? Have you heard this before? Which is interesting because they say the... Um, uh, the Empire State Building is probably struck at least 100 times by lightning a year. So 100 times by lightning, same same place, strikes again, over and over again. I also have a sister-in-law who's been struck by lightning twice, which, anyway, b- beside the point. But there are myths in our lives that if we're not careful, we can be- begin to believe. And if they begin to, to take root in our heart and our soul, it can begin to zap our hope meter and take it down. And so this is what Peter uh, continues to say. We're going to pick up in verse 6. So be truly glad. And again, he is speaking to a group of people just like us, with stresses and anxiousness in our lives, whose hope meters would have been running low. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, a little while, that's an important phrase for us, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, sometimes... When we're walking through painful situations, hard circumstances, difficult moments in our lives, it can feel like the temperature has been turned up in our lives. What Peter would speak to us, would say to us, is that sometimes God allows the temperature to be turned up in our lives in order for him to begin to mold us, to shape us, to prepare us for what is just ahead. I know many of you are familiar with the refining process of gold, but it's fascinating because they take these minerals out of the earth, they throw them in a pot, and they raise the temperature up to 2,100 degrees, and as the temperature raises, we begin to see that the impurities come to the top, and they begin to wipe away the impurities, and what is left behind is nothing but pure gold. Peter is looking at this and saying, your faith, your character, your life is like gold, That is being refined by our maker. That he's turning up the temperature. And let me just tell you this. That God won't waste anything in our lives. There's nothing that we experience, the hardships, the difficult circumstances, the pain, that he isn't going to use in some capacity. And I know many of you could look at me and just be like, Oh, you're the pastor, you're the guy on stage, and, and you're just trying to say these things. But let me tell you, I've walked through some painful, difficult circumstances. I know that even in those moments, when I was tempted to believe that God was absent from my life, I know he was present, and I know he was using it to prepare me for what was just ahead. And there is a face that I think we can all have in moments when we experience some of those difficult circumstances. There is kind of an outlook that we have towards the future. That we know this is painful, we know this is difficult, we know this is hard, but we know that the future is still bright, that there is a hope still around the corner. Uh, my wife and I have recently moved houses, and in this in-between phase, we are living with my dad, and, uh, and he has a golden retriever who I love dearly, but she uh, walks around with this face of hope constantly, Okay. And the face of hope has anything to do with food, okay? She is hoping that she is going to receive a treat. (laughs) She eventually begins to drool down the side of her face as she is hoping for this. But there is another face, and that is the face of hope rewarded. (laughs) She loves getting what she, she was hoping for. For so many of us. I need you to know there's something worth hoping in. That we can hope in with expectation to know that one day it is going to come about. And we need to hold on to this little phrase that Peter leaves us with, for a little while. Because some of us find ourselves in financial situations that seem hopeless. It seems so difficult. And I need you to know that it's for a little while. It is for a little while that there is hope that God is going to come through. Some of you may find yourself in really difficult relationship uh, circumstances. And I need you to know that it's for a little while that there's hope worth hoping in, that there's promises that we can hold on to and know that God is at work even behind the scenes in moments like that. If we want to begin to see our hope meters rise, if we want to be the type of people who can join in with what Jesus is doing in this world and multiplying his hope and his heartbeat. We have to begin to, to see ourselves the way that God sees us, that we have been accepted, that he knew, knew us and he chose us in Christ. We also have to begin to know that, that God doesn't waste anything in our lives, that he is always using those to bring us to, to that next season, to prepare us for what's right around the corner. And lastly, we need to begin to trust in this hope in Jesus, to see story after story of how he has come through that he has become through in this miracle kind of way and turned everything upside down. So as I was preparing for this message. I heard this story uh, of this woman who's been a part of our church. Her name is Katie. And I wanted to read just a portion of her story because it's so easy for, for this to be just kind of abstract and, and not to be truly practical. But I want you to hear Katie's story because I think it begins to put flesh onto this concept, this idea of hoping in Jesus it says this, Katie grew up in Minnesota, and right after high school, she moved out to Oregon and was married at a very young age. Unfortunately, the marriage didn't last, and it ended up in divorce. Three years ago, she returned to Minnesota to be with her family. Katie describes herself in this season as being numb and broken. Uh, when she returned home, feeling just a shell of who she used to be. At the time, she couldn't feel hope. And didn't even want to think about the future. While she was surrounded by loved ones, she felt lonely and was struggling with this idea of starting over. It was a scary time, full of anxiety, and desperate to to be healed. While Katie couldn't hope, her family hoped for her. They loved her. They supported her. They walked with her in this journey. In fact, her 91-year-old grandmother said she prayed for her every single night along with the other 24 grandchildren that she has. Katie began joining her family at Hosanna. She attended services on the weekends and went to one of our core courses called God's Story, Your Story. At first, Katie felt shame when she heard about God. She didn't believe she could really be forgiven for uh, where she has gone in her life. But then the preaching and the teaching on God's hope, forgiveness, and love began to break through. She remembers specifically being at God's story and hearing from Pastor Luke describe this idea of communion as a blood transfusion, where Jesus' blood washes away the past and makes a person new. As she took the bread and the wine, she became increasingly aware of the presence of God in and through her. Katie began to feel hope again. Katie said that it was this great hope in the fact that she realized that life is not measured by her past, but she had so much ahead of her before her. She began to see that God can turn any situation that even seems so desperate into something beautiful. She is a a firm believer that what we go through, God uses for good and to equip us for what he has destined for us in the future. In a couple of years, Katie went from being numb and unable to hope to being filled with hope. And now, she's at a place where she's multiplying that hope. Katie is one of our, our table leaders for our God story. Weekly encouraging people, facilitating conversations, walking alongside them in their journey. And now, she and her fiancé are preparing to be married in April. This time, God is going to be the center of their relationship. She's gone back to school and is pursuing a degree in ministry and psychology. Katie, her mom, and her brother have started a home uh, care company in which they are serving the elderly and disabled. What makes this company unique is because of their faith, they have chosen not to turn away anyone. And so she often finds herself serving the poor, the the hard to to, um, work with, and oftentimes the companies would have not accepted them themselves. So as we asked Katie, as we were... Working through this, uh, you know, we said, "What what are some ways that allow you to continue to hope?" And she says she prays for two things every day. The first one is this: she says, "Lord, help me to see people the way you see them today, as children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ." And secondly, she says this: "Lord, help them to see you through me." As our conversation came to a close, I had looked at Katie, asked Katie, said, "Hey." What's, what's one thing you would want to express to, to all of us this morning? She said this. There is nothing God cannot overcome through perseverance and faith. Say that again. There is nothing God can overcome, can't overcome through perseverance and faith. We all go through difficult seasons, and he will see us through. Can I pray for us this morning? Gracious God, I just say thank you so much for this morning, for this time to be together, Father. I thank you that there is something worth putting our hope in. That is beyond the reach of decay, that is beyond the reach of change. That we can hope with expectation, knowing that you will come through, Father. I pray, Lord, that we would continue in your mission, in your game plan, to change this world by multiplying your hope and heartbeat in this world. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. We know that one of the reasons we have this great hope is because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And I want you to know that as we come to this table, that it is Jesus himself who's inviting you to come and meet him here. Because friends, it was on the night in which our Lord and Savior was betrayed that he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And Friends, as we come to this table, just invite us to to prepare our hearts by praying the prayer our Lord and Savior taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, just a moment. There's going to be a basket passed down your aisle. I ask that you would take a piece of bread and hold it as we'll partake together in just a moment. Uh, We also have a gluten-free option uh, back towards our, our table in the back there as well. But now as you hold that piece of bread, I would just ask that you take a moment to reflect on what it means for you to live into this hope, the hope that Jesus gives us. Friends, the body of Christ given for you, take and eat. In a similar way, in just a moment, there's going to be a tray passed down your aisle. I ask that you take a cup and hold it as we'll partake together in just a moment. As a reminder, the red is wine and the white is grape juice. But now let's continue in our time of worship as we sing together.